This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. This is episode six, and today Dave and I are having a conversation with Gary Borger about the making of the classic movie A River Runs Through It. Dave, the first time I ever heard of Gary Borger was in the mid-1990s when uh, I told a friend that I needed some new wading boots, and he recommended the Gary Borger Ultimate Wading Boot, something that Gary designed, and then the more I got into fly fishing, the more I kept hearing his name. Uh, There's so much I can tell you. Gary has been fly fishing since 1955. He has a Ph.D. from the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and he taught for years at the University of Wisconsin in Wausau. Since 1972, Gary has taught classes. He's lectured internationally on all aspects of fly fishing for trout and salmon. Uh, He's also a conservationist, and he's quite the entrepreneur. Uh, Dave, out of uh, the two of us uh, guys, you're the entrepreneur, so you have to be impressed with the kind of stuff that Gary's done. Well, I really appreciate his approach to publishing and the books that he's published for me. Um, He's publishing a series right now, but the one called Fishing the Film has probably um, impacted me most, wishing I had read it 35 years ago. Yeah, really. Um, He's pioneered fly fishing video instruction with his release of Nymphing in 1982, and as you mentioned earlier, he's designed wading shoes, and he's working on a 20-volume series of book on fly fishing, of which this book um, comes from, Fishing the Film, with his son. He's doing it with his son, Jason. So it's not surprising, then, that the producers of A River Runs Through It turned to him for help on the fly fishing aspects of the movie. And we talked about the book on which that movie was based on our previous podcast in Episode 5, Well, today we're excited to talk with Gary about the making of that 1992 movie, A River Runs Through It. Hard to believe that that movie is 23 years old, but thank you so much, Gary, uh, for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, guys. Well, let me start by asking, how and when did you get invited to participate as a consultant? How did that come about? Well, I've done my own video work since 1982. In fact, I produced the first instructional fly fishing video ever done. Wow. It was entitled Nymphing, and we shot it on Armstrong Spring Creek in Montana. Oh, yeah. So the people in the industry, because of those videos, knew who I was. I got a call in March of 91 from a guy by the name of John Deach, who was the fly fishing producer for the movie River Runs Through It. And his job basically was to find the people to do the, the uh, fly fishing, to find the people to do the consulting, to find the, uh, the people to do um, related work relative to scripts and so on and bring all those people together for the fly fishing aspect of it. And he wanted to know if I, was, if I would be able to help them out with a movie over the summer, and I told him no, I couldn't do that because I had already scheduled fly fishing schools in New Mexico and fly fishing schools in West Yellowstone. And during the time when they'd be shooting, I'd be in those schools, and I suggested that they contact my son Jason and uh, ask him to participate because he would be graduating that spring from the University of Wisconsin in Madison with a degree in film and TV production. And, of course, they sort of poo-pooed that because like the, you know, the father pushing the son kind of thing. <laughs> and so they said, well, you know, have him send his resume in, and, and maybe we'll look at it. 
So Jason sent his resume in, and literally, we sent it on Wednesday, and on Friday, they called from Hollywood. So I don't know how the mail got from Wausau, Wisconsin, to Hollywood. Wow. <laughs> you know, usually, it's dog sled going out of right, here. Right, exactly. You know. Good but seven anyway, business yeah, days. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, they called and said, yes, we'd love to, to uh, dis- discuss this with Jason and, and talk with him about working on the movie. And then I said, well, you know, when can we do this? And they said, well, how about after your schools in New Mexico? Well, Jason and I were doing schools at the Vermejo Ranch in New Mexico, and we kept calling them, asking them, when do you think would be a good time to come up? And they would sort of put us off. And the last time we called, they said, well, can you be here like on, let's say, a Friday? Well, our school was ending that Wednesday, so Thursday morning, early, before the sun. We jumped in the vehicle, and we drove 1,250 miles from New Mexico up to uh, Livingston, Montana. Wow, that's We awesome. got in there, I think, like at 3 o'clock in the morning or something. And then we went the next day, and we went over to where they were shooting the scene where the father is teaching the two boys how to fly cast, and he has the metronome out in the yard. Right. And we pulled in, and they were just setting the scene up. Mm-hmm. And so we sat down uh, on the tailgate of a truck there with another guy, and we introduced ourselves to him, and he said, oh, my name's Patrick Mark, and I'm the line producer. The line producer... Now, if you ever watch movies, you'll know there's executive producers, there's producers, there's line producers, there's executive, executive producers. Anybody that has a hand in it gets their, you know, it's yeah. a title. Gets a byline. The line producer is the guy that's actually at the movie set beating people into shape and making sure things work like they're supposed to. That's the line producer. All right. So he's got tremendous power. He's got all the power, actually. So anyway, we didn't, we didn't know too much about it then. We just said, you know, he was Patrick Markian. And so anyway, we were sitting there, and they got ready to do the shoot, and, and they started shooting. Well, Tom Skerritt, who was playing the father, said uh, uh, to one of the boys, go get the fly poles. And as soon as he said the word poles, I said, oh, no. This is going to be a piece of garbage movie. Anybody that calls a fly rod a fly pole. So I turned to Patrick, who was sitting beside me, and I said, Patrick, he never would have called those poles. He would have always called it a rod, never a pole. And so Patrick leapt to his feet right at the moment and yelled, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, because Redford was out there directing the scene. He said, come here. So they started talking. And then Redford yells, go get the book, go get the book. So they came out with the book, and he read there for a little bit, and he said, okay, here's what it says in the book. Any angler that would call a fishing rod a pole does not deserve the name of angler. <laughs> so Redford immediately yelled out, okay, boys. It's a rod, not a pole. <laughs> and that sort of cemented our relationship with Patrick immediately. Oh, that's great. And so, you know, that's the way uh, I got involved in it. And then that's the okay. way, of course, Jason got involved because Jason was um, there with me and, and he was applying for the job. So that's the way okay. we got involved in it. How challenging was it to teach uh, Tom Skerritt? He played the dad. Uh, Craig Schaefer played Norman. And then... Of course, everybody knows Brad Pitt, who played Paul. How, how challenging was it for you or for Jason to uh, teach them to cast? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Brad's a pretty good athlete, and so is Craig Sheffer. Mm-hmm. And Tom Skerritt had already done some fly fishing, as had Redford. So they all understood the basic process. But <clears throat> you have to remember that, that Jason was doing the fly casting, basically, for all the actors in the movie. Okay. So anytime there needed to be a shot where you could really see the cast being made, it was Jason. Now, there's one place in the movie where um, Jerry Seam did some casting. He is now the rod designer at Sage. But other than that, it was basically all Jason doing the casting. So 
All Jason had to do was set them up so that they looked right at the beginning. Okay. And then Jason would step in and do the casting. Now you got to remember this. Paul was a free spirit, right? Mm -hmm. So his casting style had to be different than the casting style of the father, who was very conservative, okay. and Norman, of course, who right. had adopted his father's style. In those days, they would have been using what we call forearm casting. Hmm. And so Jason made sure that both Tom Skerritt and Craig Sheffer understood that concept and held the rod appropriately and moved their arms appropriately and so on at the beginning of the strokes. Mm -hmm. And then Brad, he taught a more open free arm style, hmm. which is what Paul would have used because Paul, of course, was the free spirit. Wild at heart. Yeah, he yeah. was wild at heart and free spirit. Now, interestingly, uh, let me just tell you a little story about the, the cast off the rock, the yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of stories. We could go into stories for the next hour. But let me just tell you one quickly. When when Jason did that particular cast and came back in and, and was standing around, there was a friend of both Norman's and Paul's who was still alive. His name was George Krunenberg. And uh, George had actually tied flies for them as a, as a boy. Really? So he wow. knew them from the time. Wow. And he said to Jason, you are Paul. Wow. So the style that Jason used to demonstrate the shadow cast, that style of casting, was obviously exactly the same style that Paul had developed. That's really amazing. So, an honor to hear. Yeah, it was really, really fun yeah. for Jason, of course. But that's what the style he, the style he taught to Brad, so that when Brad first jumped up on the rock, because they had to have a, you know, Brad's face there, mm -hmm. and Brad started to move his arm, it would be exactly the same thing that Jason was then doing. Okay. Did you ever get to meet Norman McLean? Was he ever on the set when you were there? You know, it's interesting. Norman did not want that movie made, period. Mm -hmm. He just absolutely did not want it made. I have another friend in Hollywood who's also a producer that was bidding against Redford for that particular movie. But Redford is a, a very intelligent guy, and he's also very, very good at presenting what he wants and, and understands. That's what makes him such a good director. Well, he said, he called Norman, and Norman said, I have no... No desire at all. You Hollywood types are all the same. It'll be nothing but sex and lies. And Redford said, no, we want to make a movie about a family. We want to make an honest movie. And we want to make it about your family. And if you agree to it, you know, I'll give you all rights to say yes or no to any scene in the movie. And Norman said, nah, I don't want, I'm not interested. You guys don't do anything but, you know, sex and blah, 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 lies and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so then Redford said to him, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to fly back to Chicago because... At that time, Norman was, uh, and up until almost his death, he was the, uh, taught at the University of right. uh, Chicago. Mm -hmm. He was an English professor there. He said, I'm going to come back to Chicago, and I'm going to meet with you three times. And on the third time, you tell me yes or no. And on the third time, Norman was so excited, he said, absolutely, we're going to do this. <laughs> because Redford convinced him that he really was who he said he was and really going to do what he said he was going to do. Oh. And, and Norman liked him, just liked him as a person. So as a consequence, you know, the movie, the movie script went into preparation and everything, and then Norman died. Never got, this, never got to yeah. be at the set. But his two children were there. And so they basically got to see what was going on, which is very interesting. I mean, it was really neat to... Wow. They got to actually participate in watching things going on. You know, it's like watching yourself. Right. <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> and they said, yeah, it was very authentic to what... Now, of course, they had to do some things in the movie that they didn't do obviously in their real lives, especially at the end where, uh, you know, uh,
Paul dies in Montana. You know, he tells mm-hmm. he tells Norman, "Oh, brother, I'll never leave Montana." Well, he did leave Montana. Actually, in reality, he went back to Chicago, and he was pistol whipped in an alley in Chicago and died there. Okay. But if you're going to make a movie, and you're going right. to do something that has a nice ending, you know, right. it all wraps up and it all feels real good. Mm-hmm. You have to change it a little bit, and and they didn't mind that because I mean, Paul really did get killed in the end. That was you know, but. They did it a little bit differently just to make the movie work out better. Sure. So yeah. did Jason and you establish any kind of friendships or conversational relationship with the actors, or did they keep you separate? How did it work on the scene, and then how long were you there, and, uh, and any details like that? Well, my participation was basically consulting with the, the second unit, camera unit. Now, I met, other, I met everybody on the, on the set, of course. But I didn't spend a whole lot of time there because I had schools that I was doing for one thing, so I could only sure. be there on and off. And my my principal concern was, and my principal consulting was, uh, how to uh, help them to shoot the best footage that they possibly could of the fishing scenes, especially shooting underwater. Because uh, Paul Ryan, who was the second unit uh, director and photographer, rather, had never really done any of that kind of stuff. And so what we did was we helped them in that regard. Now, in terms of Jason, he made friends with everybody. I mean, Jason knew everybody on the set, and he was, they really enjoyed Jason, and, and he became a really good friend with Patrick Markey. And so Jason got to do lots of things on the set that the average person wouldn't get to do if they were uh, just hired on as a, you know, as a PA right. or something. Okay. Uh, Redford was the kind of guy that appreciated Everybody and all the skills they had. So if you had 10 skills, you could do 10 things. In the original movie, Jason had four credits, but when Columbia bought it from Carol Co., they only would allow two credits for anybody. So Jason ended up with two credits. But Jason did all sorts of things. Uh, gee, we could go into a long discussion of the things he did. I mean, Interesting. Uh, yeah, but many, many things. And uh, he was good friends with Brad and Craig and, and Redford and, and everybody. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then... As far as your your expertise, uh, I remember you saying that you had a kind of an interesting trick to help them in filming those scenes where they were <laughs> fighting fish. Uh, well, what exactly were they fighting there? Well, when you shoot fish, you have to remember that fish are fish. And fish are going to do what fish want to do, regardless of what you want them to do for the camera. So there's several things that we had to end up doing. Now... These were not things necessarily that I was the only one that understood because Jason and I had been shooting together since he was 16 years old. One of the tricks that you have to have is some way to make a fish do what you want it to do in terms of fighting. Sometimes they'll come right in, sometimes they'll run off, sometimes they'll go upstream, sometimes downstream. But if you want to get a particular kind of angle and a particular kind of shot, what we would do is use a half-gallon milk jug. Now, you know, the handle's sort of on the side. It's not right up on the top. Right. So you tie your line onto the handle. Okay. So now you're not pulling directly against the end of it. You're pulling slightly from the side, which means if you do, it will actually plane through the water. Then what you do is you put a couple rocks in the bottom and then enough water to make it neutral buoyant. And then you throw that in. And if it's going down the riffle, you can put, by moving your rod one way, you can actually move it. And by moving your rod the other way, you can move it the other direction. <laughs> and of course, because it's got current against it, it'll pull line out. So you can make it run line out, and then you can pull it across the current one way and, then, and make it look like you're fighting a fish. So if you, you know, if you want to get certain kinds of shots. Now, for example, in the movie, there's one shot where at the end, 
Paul catches the big fish and he's got the rod raised up and you can see water flying off the reel and all that kind of stuff. That was actually shot in Lindley Park in, uh, in Bozeman. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, out on the east end of town oh, there? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, I've been there many times. And, and all they did was take a bucket of water, right, set the camera up, because all you can see is the reel and his right. arm and a black background. And, of course, that's those pine trees in the park. Yeah. You just dip the reel in the bucket. You have somebody out there pulling the line. You jerk the, raw, the reel up real quick. You start shooting, and somebody out there runs the line off, and, the you know, the water flies off the reel. <laughs> I mean, it is all smoke and mirrors, yeah, right? Wow. So how did you come up with the whole idea of the milk carton? How did you think that up? Was that uh, done on the fly, or did you, did you have to really No, that was something that? that we'd actually done before, years and years before, when we were shooting our own videos and things. Jason and I made over 20 videos wow. that we shot together. And he, you know, he, did, he did work on both ends of the camera. So behind the camera, shooting and directing, and in front of the camera, uh, doing acting work, obviously, in the, in the videos and so on. Yep. So what about the script? Did you suggest any changes... Um, in addition to the fly pole versus the fly rod? Uh, I didn't personally, but <clears throat> of course a script is a sort of a working document and it gets changed as time goes on. So as they were doing fishing scenes and things, Jason would make suggestions here and there. And then they got to the point where the guy who did the storyboards, now let me explain a little bit about what a storyboard is. Basically when they do a movie, they make a big comic book of it. And every panel is, a, is one of the boards. And then they'll put the storyboards up on the wall and they'll look at them. And they'll say, mm, I don't like the flow of this. Let's change this around and then draw something else. So basically what they're doing is they're laying out the movie like it was a comic book. So they get an idea of the flow of the material through a particular scene. When they got to the fishing scenes, the guy who was the storyboard artist didn't know how to fish. So they asked Jason to do the storyboarding for the fishing scenes. So he did the storyboards for the scenes for the fishing so that they would look more realistic. So they changed them on the fly? Oh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, every day, when you shoot a movie, basically what you do is you storyboard it, you go and you shoot it, and then you have what's called dailies. In other words, what they do is they take the film that they shot that day, they put it on an airplane. It flies to Los Angeles on its own seat. You buy a ticket for it, and then it flies back the next day, and then you look at it. And those are called dailies. So you look at the film that you shot each day. And if they don't like what they saw, guess what? <laughs> you do it again. Do it again. And again. And again. Wow. That's really amazing. Now, with the, the, the scenes where there, there is an actual fish, and you see that fish leaping out of the water, I mean, mm -hmm. how, how was that done? I mean, was that fish hooked like a, you'd hook an ordinary fish? Or do you have a trick for that? You had to be very careful when they were doing the movie that they didn't injure any fish because, of course, you know, people are watching. We don't want right. any fish injured in this movie, right? So actually what they do is they would tie a, a loop of monofilament around through its mouth and out through the gill plate okay. and then typically hook onto that so they weren't actually hooking the fish with the hook itself. Okay. Although it wouldn't have hurt the fish any more than having a piece of leader running around <laughs> right. through the gill right. plate. Exactly. The same, you know. Yeah. But some Still people want through my mouth. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> huh. But you can't make a fish jump on command. So <clears throat> what you do is you have Jason stand there throwing fish from underwater. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh. Wow. Yeah. For most of the, many of the fish in there, Jason just literally threw them from underwater. And they also <laughs> did that when they were trying to get the fish to take the fly. How do you, okay. get, a, how do you get a fish to take the fly? Yeah. You can't be sitting there waiting and a 12-inch fish takes it and then you land a 20-incher. You can't do that. Yeah. 
So what do you do? You have the fly floating down, and Jason throws the fish up toward the fly. Oh, wow. And then they had one mechanical fish they called Fernando. He was on a little trolley. I'm not kidding you. He was on a little trolley track that, that went along and then rose up and went back down again. So when you pulled on him, he would come up and look like he was taking the fly. And they used that in one scene in the movie where they actually could see him come up and bump the fly. I can't wait to go back and watch the, the movie again. <laughs> I, I moved to that area. I moved to the Bozeman area. I lived out in the Dry Creek area north of Belgrade uh, just a year after they filmed. And I, I remember I would take people on a river runs through it tour. In fact, I'd, I'd take them out to Spring Hill. That's where you would have been sure. to film that scene and, and to see that house. And I know they mm -hmm. built a porch for those people, the, the scene where the guys climb out of the you know, the, the window and jump down off the porch. And then, of course, right across from that is the Spring Hill Presbyterian Church. And I think they had that looking like a school, uh, maybe in the movie, but uh, really, uh, uh, really quite an amazing uh, production, wasn't it? So, Gary, what was your emotional reaction when you saw the film after, you know, after consulting with it? Well, I'll tell you, Dave, in all honesty, I cried my eyes out. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. We got to go to the premiere, which was held in the Ellen Theater in downtown Bozeman. Wow. And uh, Nancy and I and Jason all went. And then afterward, there was, of course, a production party, and so we got to go to that also and spend time with all the actors and with Redford and everybody else. Mm. But it was an emotionally charged time because it was the first real production Jason had ever worked on. I mean, we had done movies together before, but they were all video productions on fly fishing. Right. This was the first Class A movie that, you know, I mean, it was the first movie he'd ever been on, and it was an A movie with an Academy Award-winning director. Right. And so to watch the way it unfolded and to see the scenes that we knew Jason was in was very emotional for us. Well, you have that father-son thing going on in the movie, and then just have your son be a part of it, even if the movie was tragic, there's still this deep connection to this father-son thing. Yeah, and father-son and, father and, and mother-son, because Nancy is also a fly fisher and taught in our fly fishing schools for many, many, many years. And she and I both taught Jason how to fly fish. So it wasn't just a father-son, it was also a mother-son. So, yeah, oh, it was yeah. great, and it was, you know, oh. all three of us were there hugging and crying. And <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it was a great, it was really a great time. We had a wonderful time wow, doing it. Wow, what a moment. Gary, anything else that you remember that were uh, kind of poignant moments or memorable moments during the filming of the movie? Anything else we haven't covered? Well, I have lots and lots of stories. Let me give you a really good one, though. Good. Okay. The very first scene that Jason was actually in was when Norman comes back from Dartmouth. You know, he's been there for six years, and he hasn't done anything except drink and play poker. right? And he's learned a little bit so that he can actually become a college professor eventually. Anyway, <laughs> so he goes in, and, and uh, it's the scene where he goes to the newspaper, and then uh, Paul offers him a drink early in the morning, and, and then they say, let's go fishing tomorrow. So they decide to go fishing. And... Uh, they go down to the river, and Norman gets ready to cast, and he can't cast very well because he hasn't been fishing for six years. And so Paul keeps telling him, roll cast a little further, roll cast a little further, roll. and Norman gives him a really sour look. And so Paul goes upstream, and he casts out behind this big rock and catches a fish. Of course, then it's back to Norman. Well, Paul is actually Jason up there casting, 
okay? And the fish is actually John Bailey, who's behind the rock pulling on the line with dish and cast. But you can't see him because it's a great big rock, right? Yeah, John Bailey of Bailey's of, Fly yes, Shop. Yes, of Bailey's Fly right. Shop wow. in Livingston, Montana. Yep. So <clears throat> Jason goes up there, and he's getting ready. And they said, okay, now you have to put a fly on. And Jason said, well, there's all kinds of willows right here behind me. I won't be able to, you know, I'll hook it up in the willows. And they said, you've got to have a fly on because the script calls for a fly. Well, you couldn't see the fly anyway. So Jason looks around, and there's a little slot in the weeds and the trees right behind him. So he casts, and he practices. Now he can do it, you know, he can relax, and he can just flunk around. Boy, he can throw it right in earth, no problem at all. So then it takes about an hour to get everything ready. So then Redford calls out, okay, quiet on the set. All right. And Jason suddenly realizes there's 250 pairs of eyes looking at him. Oh. And there is an Academy Award-winning producer, I mean director, <laughs> directing him, watching him, getting ready to cast. And he just goes, ump, and he throws it right into the bushes behind him and hangs it up. First cast. <laughs> of course. And so then he just sort of, you know, hangs his shoulders down and droops down. And he goes, oh, no, you know, it's the end of my career. Then click, cut, click. Hey, Borger, we're sending that one to your dad. And then he knew right away, you know, okay, this is no different. This is no different than shooting video footage with my dad. So it was very simple after that. He didn't have any problems. Oh, that's great. As I remember it, the film popularized fly fishing really in a new way. Um, was that good for the sport? In some ways, it was good for the sport. In other ways, I mean, there were some people that said, oh, too many people on our rivers now. But we, there are certain things that we have to remember in this overall process. Number one is there are more people around in the world. I mean, we're up to, what are we, 7 billion now? So, yes, there's going to be more people regardless. Uh, but the other thing we've got to remember is that we have tremendous pressure on all of our resources. And there's a saying that goes around, which is, a river without friends is a river damned. Hmm. Not necessarily meaning D-A-M-N-E-D, but meaning damned with dams and blocked yeah. up. And that, of course, prevents the free flow of rivers, which prevents migration of fish. And, and that, of course, that's a tremendous problem in the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. So in one regard, perhaps it increased the number of fly fishers yeah, for a few years, but then the numbers dropped back Interesting. Uh, after that. But what it did do, probably more than anything, and this is what Redford was really concerned about after in the post-production party, you know, we, I talked to him specifically about this. And his biggest concern actually was the... Uh, problems that happened in the big Blackfoot River with all the uh, logging and everything and how it degraded the river. And part of the proceeds from that actual movie actually went to Trout Unlimited to reestablish and, and, and rebuild the river and for conservation purposes. And, and that was actually Redford's the real big push, to, one of the reasons he wanted to make the movie, aside from the fact that it was a great family story. But it would also, and it did, increase the awareness of the public uh, about our river systems and the, and the drastic condition that some of them are in. Interesting. And is that why they shifted the site to the Bozeman-Livingston area instead of filming it where it actually happened over in the, the Blackfoot? Yeah, they needed, a, they needed a river that looked as much like it would have been in 1907 okay. as the big Blackfoot would have been. And as you know, having lived there, uh, Steve, that that canyon, that Gallatin Canyon, right. is just magnificent. Yeah, it yeah. is. And it it's really gorgeous. has never been timbered uh, to any degree. And so you still have these magnificent big trees and these mm -hmm. magnificent big cliffs and, mm. and that beautiful river. It's so clean and clear running down through there. Wow. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today on Two Guys in a River, and we hope you'll be back again soon. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Dave. been my pleasure. 
If you're interested in any of Gary's books or want to read his blog, he has a website, www.garyborger.com. That's G-A-R-Y-B-O-R-G-E-R, www.garyborger.com. And there's all kinds of helpful stuff on it. All right, the topic for our next podcast is Fly Fishing the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem. And if you're heading to Bozeman, Montana to fish the Madison or Yellowstone Rivers, or if you're headed to Yellowstone National Park to fish the Madison or the Firehole, you won't want to miss this podcast. We'd like to hear from you. Go to twoguysinariver.com. That's two with a numeral, twoguysinariver.com, and post your favorite scene in the movie, A River Runs Through It. Tell us the scene and why it's your favorite. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.